This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitts Miller from Kemp, Texas. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for March 8th, episode 1888. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite day of the week? You never stop learning, you never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. Yay, Mary's here! And Mary is here the second Thursday of every month. And she is here again today coming up on today's Mary Kitzmiller show. We've got Mary... Plus a discussion about the unround penned from Shauna Koresh. And we've got some really awesome real-world problems. Thank you very much, listener Q&A. So uh, what you been up to, Mary? Uh, so I, against my better judgment, because I can't stop doing this to myself, I entered another makeover. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I have a problem. I need to go to Mustangs Anonymous or something. That, and, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's funny. There needs to be a Mustang mu- Mustang Makeovers Anonymous or something. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I can't stop doing Mustang Makeovers. Um, so this one is for Kentucky. I actually had a booth at this event last year, and I love it's at the Kentucky Horse Park. I love it. I love that part of the country. It's amazing. It's really cool. Uh, the makeover was great. And so I thought, okay, I got to do this next year. And as it turns out, they are only doing two makeovers this year, and one was Kentucky. So I thought, I better oh, wow. do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so I signed up, got accepted. Yay, woohoo. And then I looked at the paperwork for pickup, and they're like, we're only picking up in one location, and it's in Tennessee, like wow. middle Tennessee. I was like, oh, my God, I got to haul a wild Mustang 12 hours back home. And I've hauled horses all over the place, but I like to go eight hours and unload. And yeah. it, it's nice to have one halter broke, you know, just in case you're in a fender bender, you got to unload your horse. So I, I was sweating bullets, but it went great. You went and you picked. Now, do you think that the fact that they're o- they only had one pickup spot will have a um, detrimental effect on the number of entries they get? They got a ton of entries for this one. Um, I can't remember how many. They've got a bunch of youth, and I think there were like 70 trainers. Really? Yes. And I was surprised. So I'm belly aching, like, I have to come all the way from Texas. Some people hauled from Washington. Some people came from Massachusetts. So I even posted in the forum, like, how am I going to do this? And, you know, then I had people like, I hauled a Mustang 24 hours in the snow once. <laughs> like, okay, I, I guess it's doable. <laughs> and the horses themselves, obviously, there are no Mustangs running around Tennessee. Mine came from Nevada. So she has been on a trailer ride um, yes. of, you know, Epic huge proportions. proportions. Yeah, now, exactly. For, for folks who are um, less 
informed about the whole Mustangs and Mustang makeover thing. When one hauls a Mustang from a pickup center or adoption center, there are very, very specific rules on who, how, what, why, where, and when. So give everybody kind of the, the picture of how your horse gets hauled home from one of these pickup centers. So, you know, it's a wild horse and uh, those wild horses, especially when you put them in small places, can jump. And, and mine was very active in the shoe. I was looking at her like, oh, you are not as calm as I thought you were going to be. Um, so you have to have an approved trailer. And normally, because I usually only have to go as far as Fort Worth, Texas, which is like an hour and a half away, or up into Oklahoma, which is four hours away. Um, so usually I take my big swanky three horse insulated climate control, well not climate control, but it's nice living quarter trailer. And it's just a really nice, big, cushy, safe trailer but for a you horse. You take the partitions out. So they basically just have a big box yes, to hang you out. Have, you have to haul them loose. Um, you know, a straight load trailer is not going to work. Uh, so stock, a stock trailer is going to be your best bet, but you know, most trailers you can take out the dividers, um, a little two horse straight load is going to be too small. They, they, you know, it's just, uh, it's been done, but you want a pretty roomy trailer. Um, that most way they of can all move of, around all they want. Yeah. Yes. Yes. They need to move around. They, you know, they don't have, they're not halter broke. They have minimal touching, you know, they've been touched to get branded and to get shots and, and not that doesn't much count. Else. That's negative yeah. touching. So that's actually yes. on the negative side. That's in red. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So those horses, little experience with people is like, why are you chasing me? So, yeah. um, so, so you got to have an approved trailer. So, but with the ELD mandate, uh, that was looming, um, which uh, I won't go into it, but long story short, a lot of horse people are now finding out, um, that they have to have a commercial driver's license. And I'm researching the heck out of it. Some people are like, yes, you have to go get your CDL or you're going to get fined $2,000. They'll, they'll strand you on the side of the road until you can get a driver to come get you. And so lots of horror stories about that. Lots of rumors, lots of, and I've researched it. It's hard to find a clear answer, but with that big trailer and my truck, I am over the weight limit. Um, where a, oh, the laws where are, CDL could be required. Yes. Gotcha. And that could be a whole other show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Stay so, tuned for that next month. <laughs> yeah. Long story short, I have nightmares of like being stuck on the side of the road while a cop, a trooper's yelling at me and finding me thousands of dollars and telling me I have to sit here with my Mustang until I can find a CDL driver to come get me. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just not going to do it. So I got my um, little rusty turquoise uh, gooseneck two-horse slant, but it's really roomy. No, I think it's three-horse. I don't know. It's really big. <laughs> but it's much smaller than my living quarters trailer. And I, two things I didn't realize when I went to pick up this Mustang is that trailer has slats. And so all the sunlight gets in, the horse can see and hear everything. Where my other trailer was super, like it was this, it was quiet you know, it was a quiet yeah. bubble. Yeah. yeah. So it wasn't as scary. Plus my door, my, my back door, I thought it went all the way to the top of the trailer. Like it was all covered, but there's like a two foot slot in the top. Uh-oh. 
And yeah, my horse is rattling around in the chutes, like falling over backwards and freaking out. And she gets in my trailer and is like rattling around. And I look at one of the BLM people and I point to my door. I'm like, is that going to be okay? And she goes, uh, yeah. She goes, if it was any lower, no. <laughs> so I'm driving down the road and my trailer's going, blah, 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 blah. And this horse is just going, you know, circling around like mad. I'm thinking, oh, my God, this horse can't jump out of the trailer. Um, but she settled right down. The good thing about these guys is they're so adaptable and they they have a good mind on them. So they usually don't do anything really harmful to themselves. They're, they want to self-preserve. So she she hauled great and quiet and it was without event. But it was a little nerve-wracking loading up. Wow. Yeah, I, you, I watched the video that you had posted. Now... Whenever people show up, because you've you've picked up lots of Mustangs for lots of makeovers, yes, you have a problem. When people oh, pick yes, up my <laughs> their uh, Mustangs, you cannot have a ramp on your trailer. Am I right? Yes, and I believe that is because if you have a ramp, you can't get backed up to the chutes. Um, the, you know, the way they set up the chute is when you lower that ramp, it's not going to work. You're not going to have room to lower your ramp. If you do lower the ramp, then there's going to be space between the chutes and the door. So you, you need a swinging door. Yeah. Um, yeah. Step yeah Cause up that's trailer. just not safe for the, for the way the, the animals have to be handled for their safety and, and yours. So you, you zhuzh your horse up into the trailer. Now, if you were picking up two horses, for example, either two horses for the same makeover or you and a friend were putting your, picking your horses up into one rig, you can put two into one if it's of sufficient size. Yes. And I've done that before. So this trailer I took would have been a little small to do it with two horses, but I've done it in my big uh, living quarters big trailer. Yeah. And that was with Maple and Ruby, who are my favorite Mustangs in the whole world. They were Don't, the horses. Sage, cover your ears. That's the new Mustang. Cover oh, your ears. Well, you, she knows she has to, we have to build a relationship. Yeah. You know, we're both like taking our time and, you know, <laughs> um, but uh, Ruby and Maple are really funny because – so I picked up two Mustangs for the Player's Choice Fort Worth makeover last year. And it was a deal where you could get two, but you had to choose one to compete with. Yeah. So they both came from different parts of the country. They were both in separate holding pins, so they did not know each other. And I'm like, I got to put these two strange horses in the trailer together. Um, and uh, Ruby – uh, was getting loaded and she's standing at the mouth of the trailer like I don't know if I want to get in and they let Maple come running down the chutes Maple slammed into the back of Ruby and they both hopped in and <laughs> yeah we closed the door I had about two Bocce and a half ball. hours yeah and and I had about two and a half hours to haul back home they were totally quiet but in that two and a half hour trailer ride they forged their surely lifelong relationship unbreakable bond they love each other it is it you know it, it's a love story for the ages and well, that, that works for domestic horses too you, you, know, you can yeah. take two horses who hate each other's guts at home they can't get within 15 feet of each other they kick each other you put them in a horse trailer together and all of a sudden they are blood brothers yes yeah it's like i i only know you so we're we're gonna make it through this together it's almost like <laughs> You know, if you were in a post-apocalyptic situation with a coworker you didn't really like, you're, you're probably going to figure out how to make it work in order to survive the zombie apocalypse or whatever. And, you know, for these Mustangs, they don't know what's going on. So they're like, you know, 
you're the only one who looks like me in this trailer. So we're going to be friends for life. And, and they still, to this day, I hired a new assistant and uh, Ruby and Maple have been turned out to pasture and they're wild and woolly. And so, you know, I haven't written them in the last two months. So I said, you know, bring those, bring those horses up and uh, groom them and, you know, let's, let's get them all groomed and pretty. And um, so she brought Maple in first and, uh, so we're in our arena. I'm working a horse. She's grooming on Maple. And all of a sudden, I hear screams of terror. And I just hear this, and Ruby sticks her head over the fence. And they're just crying at each other. It's like the most mournful thing. Like, you better bring her in, too. And I thought I could time on opposite ends of the arena. That didn't work. I had to time right next to each other so they could touch noses. And they like they were separated for 30 seconds. And they're just talking to each other like, oh, my God. Uh-oh. And uh they just love each other. It's Uh-oh. crazy. Now we have separation anxiety to deal with. <laughs> but you know, the the funny thing is about that is they, if I bring one in to work them, they're okay. Um, I've hauled each one separately to different events and trail rides. They do great, but it's just at the ranch. They have their weird thing that uh, they do. Oh, maybe yeah. it's an out of sight, out of mind thing. Oh, you left town. See ya. Okay. I'll see you. Yeah. 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 But you can't have you can't go and have uh, have popcorn and happy time together. Gotcha. I, yeah, I see. that makes sense now. That makes <laughs> sense. So the first w- now we're going to switch gears and get back to uh, Sage. Sage is the new Mustang. Um, how is it going? First week. Give us give us the Reader's Digest of the first week with Sage, the latest Mustang. Okay, so it's going terrific. I'm really happy. Um, you know, with these makeovers, uh, when I first started doing them, and I, every rookie trainer, as in rookie for the makeover, um, they go through this horrible anxiety in your first makeover because you get your horse home and you're like, how am I going to touch you? And meanwhile, fa- videos are popping up on Facebook like, oh, I, I got a halter on my horse already. Oh, yeah, really? Well, my horse is running around with the saddle. Oh, I'm riding mine on a trail. Oh, I'm not riding with any tack. You know, um, there was the one year where Madison Shambaugh was like, I don't even halt to break my horse and I'm riding it across the Peer field. Pressure. And, yeah. So if you're competing, you're like, what the heck am I going to do? And I I have to say, in most cases, that is no indicator of who's going to win. I've I've had people for the makeovers that, you know, they're on in 30 minutes and riding bareback and bridalist and their horse is laying down and they're scratching its belly and doing photo ops. And mine's looking at me like, don't come a step closer. And, you, you know, it all is fair game. Once you get to the makeover, you don't know what horse is going to get there and spook. And mm-hmm. so it's uh, it's nothing I worry about anymore. So there are people riding around. I'm working on halter break and we got our halter broke. So when I do these makeovers and it's a competition, but I also look at it as a time to try out new things, which um, is very tricky. I have the confidence of, you know, I'm a professional horse trainer. I know what to do in a pinch. Um, so I have I have confidence enough to say, I'm going to try it this time, uh, this way this time. And I love to try out new programs. Um, and, you know, my very first uh, extreme Mustang makeover horse, I clicker trained nearly entirely, meaning I didn't rope him. I went into his pen with like a huge flake of hay and held it out to him till he ate it. And then I brought my clicker out and that's how we got him. I started shaping behavior and I did everything with clicker. Um, 
Yeah. Oh, it's, it was really cool. It was an amazing experience. Um, with Ruby and Maple, I did the bamboo pole method, which we had uh, that lady who, who, um, who does that, Kitty Lawman, on the show. Um, and so with this horse, I had seen this program that came across my Facebook, pe- Facebook feed a number of times, and it's called 4BP out of Australia. And it's this Australian guy, obviously. Uh, and he, the video that really caught my attention was they showed this wild Brumby with four hours of training. And he just, um, he, he's talking over the video and his assistant is showing what the horse has learned after four hours. And so the horse is standing like asleep in the pen. The, the assistant goes up to it is able to approach and he's and and then get the horse to follow her around at liberty i'm like wow that's impressive for four hours then he shows her touching the horse all over and then she gets a rope out and while at liberty throws the rope all over the horse it's lead rope and the horse is just like asleep and you know she does all this stuff and i'm like wow that's really quite good and then she gets a halter on and leads the horse around and then, you know, by the end of it, she's on the horse riding around with a string around its neck. And this horse is just, he looks like the oldest draft horse who's seen everything, eyes half closed, um, you know, flicking his ears at flies a couple of times, but he's just walking around like a saint. So I'm like, that's really interesting. Um, and I, I sat on it for about a year before I decided, okay, I'm going to buy this course and check this out. Cause I love to experiment. You, you're never done learning. It's just, you know, um, that's a fact when you're working with horses. So I watched the course and the method is, um, just really, really advanced approach and retreat. And what I loved about it, uh, was, it was totally different. Um, they never once, a lot of horses, you know, people are really big into round pins and we'll talk about round pins later where they'll, they'll move the horse around the round pin and get it to face up, um, or move the horse in some way. He never does that. And he's able to get this horse touched and handled without the horse hardly moves the whole time. It's really fascinating. So I tried it on a horse I had in training, uh, three horses I had in training actually, because I wanted to practice before I got my mare and it worked pretty good. Um, but I had a feeling it was going to work better on a fresh Mustang. Clean slate. Um, yeah. Yes. One horse that I saw big results was this, um, my chihuahua was barking. In the Hi background. chihuahua. <laughs> I forgot to kick him out of the room. Um, <laughs> but one horse that I had that I saw, I was really surprised at how quickly it turned her around. I had this ranch raised quarter horse filly rescued out of a kill pen who was, she was halter broke and that was about it. You you couldn't walk around the side of her to touch her. She was very kicky. Um, so I did it with her and it calmed her down really, really well. So I was really excited to try this with my Mustang. And uh, that's what I've been doing the whole week. Now, I'm up to the part. They, they do it all in four hours. And it's not a race. They're not trying to go, look how quickly I did it. It mm-hmm. just, that's. They just, that's how they get it done. And I guess these, this group goes all over Australia and starts hundreds of Brumbies at a time. Like in, they've got like, you know, people enter their clinic and their staff and they get these Brumbies in and they just do one after the other and they get them all leading to where someone can ride them around. And it's really, really low resistance, which I am, I am all for. I'm, I'm all about the, you know, path of least resistance. So I I got to the part relatively quickly where they're like, okay, now you jump on. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, 
I really like what this program is, but I have uh, not done a lot of what I like on my checklist before I get on. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So my horse is, um, you know, I have my hands all over her. I can throw a rope at her. I can throw a towel all over her. I got her haltered. She's leading. She follows me around like a puppy dog. Um, and she's doing terrific. So I've got a saddle blanket on her. Um, and, and the horse, I posted a lot of videos on my personal page and the horse looks really calm in the videos. And some people have said, are you sure she wasn't handled already? You know, jokingly. And, and what I want to stress is this horse is not one of the calmer Mustangs I've had. I've had some that jump right out of the trailer, ready to go. And they're really calm right off the bat. She is not that way. She's but an internalizer, isn't she? She just keeps it to herself. A, yeah, yeah. If she was, if we were talking in Pirelli horsonality speak, she is a I think, and I'm not well versed in this. She's definitely an introvert. I'd say she's a left brain introvert. Yeah. Um, she's so, gonna wait. She's gonna keep it to herself until it bursts out um, uncontrollably yes. and then cause mischief. So, yes, this type of horse in the hands of someone who lacks experience reading what's really going on inside the horse um, might get himself into mischief because they're gonna think the horse is calm. When in fact, there's a lot going on inside of her head. She's just not showing it outwardly. Yes. Yeah. And, and in my experience, more people get hurt by these horses than anything else. Well, sure, else. they catch you off guard. Yeah. Yeah. Because if, if she came in the pen and she was bucking and flipping over backwards and running around, you know, like, oh, I'm going to keep my distance yeah. from you for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and what this horse tends to do a lot, uh, this, uh, this type of horse, uh, Sage has actually not done this, but it's something I keep an eye out is, um, you know, I see this a lot, a lot, a lot with people. They've learned to desensitize a horse um, and they've learned that, oh, my horse should stand still while I do things like throw a rope or crack a whip or get a tarp out or whatever. And they will get their horse standing still really well, but they're not looking at what's going on on the side of the horse's head. Because sometimes the horse is standing still because they, I don't feel threatened. I'm relaxed. You've taught me systematically to accept this. And I understand. And you understand that I understand. Sometimes they stand still because they're about to go blow. And so they're standing there and you can see in their eye, they're like, I'm just going to try and ignore this for as long as I can. If, you don't, if I don't see you, you don't see me kind of a thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They just, instead of expressing it like, oh my gosh, that's scary. I'm going to run. They just, and I'm this way. I internalize, internalize, internalize. And then it's like, why am I crying? You know? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so yeah. Um, so, so these, I, I truly understand what these horses are going through. They're trying to be troopers and they're holding it in as best they can. And you think they're fine. And then you're like, well, I can get on you now. And that's the straw that breaks the camel back and they just they and it's not their fault they cannot hold it in anymore and it's you see it's a very tricky way how do you train around that um it's really a mind game it's not like oh let's get them really tired right uh, yeah it, it's you've yeah. got to you've got to go into their brain yeah and and that's a whole we should write that down for for next time around is dealing with the horse who internalizes and creating safe ways to encourage the horse to express themselves so that he learns he can do that that way 
you okay let me know what you're doing it's okay to do that open up and and safe ways to encourage that because i'm raising my hand on that question so write that down for next month but (laughs) we're going to take a little break and we're going to hear from uh, the great folks at horseware who make something called ice vibe and then we're going to come back with our training tip which is all about breaking down training problems into their ingredients In the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. IceVibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the IceVibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimize swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, IceVibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. IceVibe. You can find out more details about Ice Vibe at ice-vibe.com or horseware.com. Or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe Circulation Therapy from Horseware. Horseware. There we go. It's a, it's a really interesting product. The lady who developed it came on to the show uh, very shortly after it was it was released by Horseware here in the United States. And it's fascinating. There's a lot of really interesting science behind those products versus just, you know, we've been putting ice on our horse's joints for generations. But they did a lot of research into exactly how it should be done and how the vibration works and stuff. So if you're unfamiliar with Ice Vibe, I encourage you to head on over to horseware.com and read about the science behind that product. Now it's time for our training tip. Go for it. Oh, my God. I got to catch my breath. I had to run my chihuahua downstairs. (laughs) (laughs) I, I bring him up. I'm the first up in the morning and I bring him up to get the ready for the show. And, and he barks if I don't have him. And I forgot he was up here. <laughs> he adds character to the show. He does. He does. He's, he's like my, my little weird eccentric child. He's your muse. Yes. Yes. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So actually one of the listener in question, uh, questions that we got this week inspired my training tip. So I'll probably incorporate the answer to that question in with this tip. And, um, this was by Cade Smith and, uh, it's, it's pretty funny. Um, said, Oh Mary, I feel like all my questions have already been answered in previous segments. So as not to repeat, can you go over some retraining? My Tennessee walking horse was rescued off pads and he was going along really well. But now as soon as you prep to mount, he wants to bolt. And that's in all caps. Um, Other than teeth, chiropractors, uh, tears of a Dutch virgin and snot of a winch. (laughs) How do I, um, how do I. I think that's supposed to begin. Yes. Begin the mounting and non-bolting. Yeah. Begin the mounting and non-bolting equation. Um, So that's a terrific question. Um, And you will not need the tears of Dutch Virgin. Um, But if you think it helps. But if you have eye of Newt, that could push you in the right direction. Exactly. Um, uh, Side note, I knew um, someone who was really into crystals when training their Mustangs and would tell you that um, this Mustang had eight demons that she had to exercise. But that's a whole other uh, topic. Again, that's going to be on Heels Down Happy Hour next month. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, really? How did you, how do you do a Mustang exorcism? Um, So short of an exorcism, um, this is a great question because, um, uh, 
I'll see a lot of people have very similar problems. Either the horse bolts when they try to get a foot in the stirrup to mount, or they just can't get the horse to stand still and they bring it to a show and it's screaming and it's running around and it's pretty much, how do I get my horse to stop? How do I get him to calm down? And when you look at that explosive problem, it is really hard to know where to start. And most of us, and this is me included, start in the wrong spot, which is the mounting, because you think, well, that's where the problem is. So I should keep trying to get on this horse. Well, you have to be a really handy and and quick and athletic rider um, with super good feel to like get on that horse and not accidentally get your foot hung up in the stirrup when he bolts. And I'm not that good. Uh, so, so that's not where I start. So when we look at problems, um, we look at something like bolting, uh, bolting when mounting, we're like, well, that's the problem. Obviously I can't ride. I'm going to get drug off. Um, that is actually what I would call a symptom. So, you know, where is the root of this problem? Um, what's causing the horse to bolt nine times out of 10, if you have a horse that is doing this, um, and it's come with this problem, uh, I've seen it a lot where, um, someone has, gotten on that horse and the horse did something and this isn't I'm not saying Kate did this but like in a in a past life with this horse my guess if I were to venture guess as to what happened I'm guessing at some point in, in this horse's life someone got on this horse or tried to get on this horse and it did something they didn't like um you know it could have been anything it moved when it wasn't supposed to move and instead of calmly addressing the issue they swung off the horse and beat up on it um, I've seen this happen a lot with young temperamental trainers who just, you know, they lose their cool, they get mad and they swing off the horse and they back it up really fast and they get really mad. And, um, it, 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 when you do that to the horse, they, I've seen a lot of horses get some very real and lasting trauma around mounting and dismounting because they're like, Oh no, you're going to whip up on me again. And even though, the current owner is not the one doing this to the horse. It just, it's, it's what I would call a poisoned cue. This, this whole idea of mounting is just ingrained in his brain. Like this is really bad. That's not always the cause. That's just an educated guess on, um, uh, on my part. So, so the, the, co- the, the real root of the problem is the horse is probably experiencing anxiety and fear. So where I would, um, put on my detective hat with this horse is I would go through your day up until this mounting problem. Does the horse lead out of his stall calmly? If he does that fine, um, does he stand quietly while you're grooming him? If he does that, okay. Um, how does he lead into the arena? Um, if he does that fine, you know, I just retrace my steps and I try to look at that horse's behavior and say, where is this starting? Um, because like we said with the introvert horse, introvert horse, a lot of times they'll be masking an issue and we don't see what the real issue is until it explodes in a very real way. So um, I start at at the very beginning and wherever that I see that horse starting to lose its cool, that's what I work on. Maybe it's leading out of their stall. Maybe that horse rushes out of the stall and tries to run me over. And sometimes because we're so focused on getting in there to ride, 
we kind of gloss over that in our minds, don't see it as big a problem as it is, and don't realize that that horse is telling us from the moment it steps out of its stall, it's not okay. It's got a problem. Um, so, so I work on those things. You know, maybe we have to go in and out of your stall a couple of times. Um, uh, let's just say that the horse is fine until you mount. Uh, so we'll break that down. So I'm going to find out where is the point of no return for this horse? Um, is it when I go to stand by his shoulder, does he start moving then? Well, if it's that, then I got to work on that. Is it when I grab the stirrup? Um, cause a lot of times you'll grab the stirrup cause you're getting ready to put your foot in the stirrup. Um, if that's the problem, I've had colts that were like that, that they wanted to move as soon as I grabbed hold of that stirrup. So what I will do is I'll stay at the horse's shoulder. I will have a decent hold on the lead rope. I'm not going to try to choke the, or the rein. I'm not going to try and choke the horse down and force them to stand still, but I'm ready in the event that this horse moves to firmly tip their nose toward me. Um, and that's really important if you don't know how to do that. Um, when I'm mounting a horse, I either want their head perfectly straight or their nose slightly tipped toward me. And I'm always ready in case something happens. A bag flies across the arena as I'm getting on. I'm ready to tip that horse's nose in my direction. And the reason for that is if you tip that horse's nose toward you as he moves... Um, the only thing he can really do, if you do it right, is swing his hindquarters away. So that's already keeping you out of the kicking zone. But you can direct him into a small, tight circle around you, which is very controllable. You have a lot of leverage um, doing that. And you can keep the horse from flat running off. Because sometimes they run off and then they kick out and you're collateral damage. So that's something I'm very very vigilant on whether it's if it, even if the horse has no problem mounting has never had a problem mounting i always have a hand on the rein ready yeah. to tip that nose now, something that might um be interesting here as C cade explains that the horse was formerly a uh, tennessee walking horse a show horse he was shown on the rail and I have limited experience with this these these horses in this particular discipline, but those horses are never taught to turn. They do not make circles, especially gated horses. Yes, um, when the horse change, even when the horse changes direction in the arena, it is never circled. They it, swing like a door. They swing like a door. So that might be a really serious gap in the horse's skill set. In that he might not even know how to make a small circle, a big circle, much less a small circle. Yeah, so that might be your starting point. Let's say that horse is just standing straight as a board and you try to get him to tip his nose and he's just he's just cocked no and ready clue. and he won't yeah, yeah, he won't no give. And um this is not stereotypical of all gated horses or trainers, but I do see this a lot in the show horses is I've seen people get this misconception in their mind that we can't bend a gated horse because he's not going to gate as good. Um, they're just, they're, they're, they're just not they're, taught. That's all. Yeah. As a yeah. general rule, a lot of them are kept very, very straight. Um, and my thing is, and I'm borrowing this line from an ex boss is he is a horse first. He's a gated horse second. 
So some people will say, oh, my horse is a rope horse. I don't want him to yield his hindquarters. I'm like, he's a horse first. He's a rope horse second. He's a horse first. He's a Mustang second. So I give him all the same general training principles on the ground and under saddle. Then I'll focus on, okay, let's get you better at roping or let's get you to gait better. And with gated horses, bending is not going to mess up their gait. Um, Teaching them to canter and trot will not mess up their gait. Uh, so, so teaching that horse to give laterally, that that's a good point you brought up. That would be where I start. So you, you got to do some detective work and be very observant and say, okay, where, where's the breakdown? Um, so if you, you put this lateral bend in a horse, meaning as he's going around you, or if you're standing still, you should be able to tip his nose toward you. You should be able to get him to yield his hindquarters away. You're installing an emergency stop. So if I go to lift my leg to put it in the stirrup and that's when he's like, I got a bolt. I tip that nose. Um, he will yield his hindquarters and look at me and then I can try it again. So it wasn't ideal, but it's not him running off. So you might have to give up riding for a little bit and just work on this issue. Go back to your groundwork, cover all your bases, get his hindquarters moving, get his shoulders moving, work on that rib cage, get him to bend laterally, get him to back up, get him to go forward. Um, and, and do, do some calming work, work on some desensitizing. You could teach him to lower his head. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so the, the gist of it is we think we got to fix uh, and this is human instinct. We think we got to fix the, you know, we got to get it to the point of where it's going to explode and try to fix it right there. Well, by the time your horse is bolting, he's in survival, prey animal no- mode. He cannot learn. So, <gasps> Wizard brain. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, so you got to work everything around that. You've got to put some, um, put some buttons on him that will a help you in case of an emergency and B prevent the emergency from even happening. There we go. And yet, and again, it, it's setting, setting up those situations. And sometimes it takes a lot of creative thinking to set up situations to inch your way towards the problem that started the whole investigation to begin with. And sometimes that's really hard to, how, how, how far it's like, well, how far can I break it down? Well, maybe it's as far as watching your horse when he's, he tries to get flies off of his sides. Does he swing his head left and right to, to get flies off of his sides? Well, if he doesn't, well, maybe you need to look at carrot stretches so that He's motivated with something that's not a bit, which he has preconceptions about. He, you know, he thinks he knows what that bit's for, and you're trying to change what the bit is for. Uh, okay, well, maybe we can get him to bed his head left and right there, and break it down even further. A long, long time ago, we had some folks on horses in the morning who train police horses, and they would get horses that were donated, and these horses were adult, mature, trained horses that had had uh, careers, but they were changing careers. And it really surprised me at the time. And they said they go back to absolute square one. They assume the horse is not halter broke. They assume the horse is not broke to tie. And they literally go every single step up. And because and you wonder, oh, he's a police horse. How can he learn to do all that? Well, they literally start from square one. Because one tiny little gap in that training that happens at the very beginning turns into bolt when I mount later on. So they just make the assumption that every horse has that gap. And they said, yes, every single horse 
has gaps. You just have to go through every single step to find the gap. And that is such a good, um, most trainers know this and they know from past experiences, unfortunately. Um, but a lot of people, um, who are your recreational horse person, you maybe haven't dealt with that many horses, um, haven't thought that way before. And, you know, the good news is, so treat it like, yeah, that's such a great piece of advice. Treat it like you're starting from the beginning. If the horse knows everything, you'll get through all that stuff really quick. And I've had horses in training where I'm like, okay, how are you with haltering? Oh, you're great at that. Okay. How are you with moving this body part? Oh, you're good with that. Okay. You know that, you know that. And I'm able to just check it off now. And, and what I found with a lot of getting a history on a horse, having the history helps. Um, but a lot of, uh, clients that will send a horse to me, they don't know what they don't know. So they're not trying to lie to me. They just don't know that, oh, this is a problem I should have mentioned or they don't even realize it's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had one Mustang, uh, I had one horse in training that needed just like a tune up. And, um, I go to saddle it up and it takes off bucking. I'm like, Whoa, okay. (laughs) And so I mentioned to the owner, she's like, Oh, really? I'm like, yeah, really pretty bad. Um, and so I just, I broke it down. I'm like, okay, has the horse ever had a back cinch? Oh, well, yeah. You know, we tried it once. I took this horse to this trainer to get help and she put that back cinch on way too tight and the horse exploded. So I never did it again. So I pick up from that. Okay. This horse does have an issue and it's just has not been addressed because to me, being able to accept a back cinch is very important. And a lot of people, that's just not the case. So it's nothing wrong. It's just... I didn't find, I, you know, I would have f- found that out quicker if I had taken that horse and go like, this is your first time with the saddle. Let's throw the blanket on a couple of times. Let's, before we do that back cinch, pull it up a couple of times. Let's shield your hindquarters. So you learn after a few of these experiences. Um, and that's why I won't get on any training horse sometimes not the first week. I don't care if they're like, oh, he hauled children through parades and, you know, (laughs) saved a bus full of orphans. Like he's still going to do some groundwork. Um, Not necessarily because you're teaching him something, but because you need to do a thorough background check, so to speak. For my own peace of mind. Because everyone's got different ideas of what a broke horse should be, what they want their horse to do. So, you know, my little checklist is going to be different from someone else's. Um, And, that way you cover all your bases. And so usually, uh, uh, I, in fact, a perfect example of this, I get horses in all the time where they're like, it took me an hour to get them on the trailer to get here. Will you work on trailer loading? I'm like, okay, but I don't work on trailer loading. I work on groundwork and I work on all of that stuff. And then usually when I finally go, okay, it's time to get in the trailer, the horse hops right on because I've worked on all the holes in a controlled environment beforehand. There we go. Well, uh, there we go. And so you're, you're breaking it down and never assume the horse knows anything. And um, didn't he, just go over to Mary Kitzmiller's Facebook page and ask her questions there if you if you're still questions about uh, breaking things down into digestible bits. Um, let's take a little short break here. And we're going to hear about Total Saddle Fits Shoulder Relief Cinch. And then we're going to come back um, and have a little song, take a little break. And uh, after that, maybe some more questions. And we're going to be chatting with Shauna. And part of our today's show song by Marianne Kennedy is going to be brought to you by the Total Saddle Fit Shoulder Relief Cinch. See, I have to do this ad because people like to hear me do tongue twisters. I swear. But the Total Saddle Fit 
shoulder relief cinch is awesome because it improves saddle fit and horse comfort. Who doesn't want that? Because the center of the cinch sits in your horse's natural girth groove while the sides are set back and attached to the latigos further back and prevent the saddle from being pulled onto the shoulders. Its unique shape has special cutouts for the elbows so that your horse doesn't have elbow uchis. And something really clever that they've done, it has an interchangeable liner system. So you can have one cinch and more than one liner. So if you want to, you can have one cinch, peel off the liner, go to the next horse, put a new one on. So everybody has a fresh, clean cinch. And the liners are available in top quality limestone neoprene, wool felt, or wool fleece. So whatever touchy-feely stuff your horse likes, you can get it in your total saddle fit shoulder relief cinch. And it is the top selling cinch at many online retailers. It's been a hit in the Western world. And if you're not sure about it, you need to go to totalsaddlefit.com and learn more. And now a little bit of Marianne Kennedy. Go out to the barn Let him out and work my arms It's kind of like a meditation Sort of like yoga, it's my religion I get in a trans-like state As I pitch and as I rage The smell of manure and sweet grass hay What a beautiful way To start your day I'm five foot But I never feel as tall Is when I'm cleaning stalls Yeah, boyfriend Contemplate the problems in the big city It makes me feel sad, it makes me feel pity I'm grateful for this life I lead As I pet the cat and kiss my gelding's cheek I fluff him up and dip him clean Makes me healthy, keeps me Sweet grass, hay What a beautiful way To start your day All life's problems Seem so small When I'm cleaning stalls I'll be back tomorrow, that's for sure 
what goes in must come out. Isn't that what life's about? I rake 'em level, look so neat as I give the horses one more treat. Head of the house for another cup. This time of day, life's looking up. The smell of manure and sweet grass hay. What a beautiful way to start your day. I'm five foot, but I never feel as tall as when I'm cleaning stalls. Uh huh. That's right. All right, so we have with us again because she's such a great guest. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you? So I was just getting ready to introduce you. We've got Shauna Karish on today, who is um, one of the uh, best clicker trainers for horses out there. And you have just started a new um, center out in New Mexico. And so you've relocated. You've got that all started. Is that correct? Yes, we're we're kind of working on it. I, so I'm I've, I've relocated. I'm here. My horses are here, and we are. It's kind. It's a new owner of the facility, so we are busy putting water in, changing trenches, redesigning buildings. So there's a lot going on, but we are we are already having some people coming from all over the world, actually. Oh, very cool. I need to book my trip at some point because it looks, it's so exciting. <laughs> I, it's its one of the first facilities that of its kind and you guys are all uh, focusing on positive reinforcement training and, and not just for, you know, um, a horse that's going to be in someone's backyard hanging out, but for performance horses as well, which I find really great. And, and it's going to be an exciting change in the horse world. Um, and one thing, one of the renovations that I saw um, is, <laughs> you have built and and I love this because it seems to be a clicker training horse staple is um, we all have a bunch of cones lying around in different colors because <laughs> cones are so great for it. Um, but so you've built a round pin, um, but it's a little bit different than your typical round pin. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing with that and why? Yes, and it's uh and it, you're right about the cones. And I got so excited when we got new cones. <laughs> but it is, look, That's a horse person. You get excited when you get new cones. <laughs> <laughs> Shoo schmooze. I want cones. But the, uh, okay, so what I built with this, what we built here, is what we call a reverse round pen. And it's essentially, uh, so there actually was a round pen in place, like with panels and everything. We, <laughs> we took the panels down. And instead, put cones, and there's these cool little bars, but you could use anything. You can use electric webbing tape or whatever. But put the cones and then have it so it's within the, the scope of the round pen. So it's a smaller area where the human is, and the horse is on the outside, but he has room to move. So we built it in a paddock. It's kind of a, a, a Liberty working paddock, but you can do it in an arena or wherever, but the point is you want, I want the horse to be able to have freedom 
to move and go and choose if he wants to be there. One of the things that is so very reinforcing for everything, especially humans, is basically having choice and freedom and control. And you think about the horses, we take a lot of that away because we say what you're going to do, where you're going to go, who you're going to live with. You know, we make all these decisions. So in training, when I can find opportunities to give them a choice to do it, what I find is it gives me a whole lot of information. So if they're not doing it or they run off, I'm like, okay, I get it. We're not very interested in what we're doing here. So then it gives me a scope of where to start and work from. But one of the things I think is so important is when you're teaching, and I have a little off-the-track thoroughbred who's going to be turning five any day now. And he, so I took him out there and you know, he, he stays right with me, you know, and he's new to the whole training, but I, I can use a target if I need to, to kind of guide him and get him the idea of walking with me and going around. And then I reinforce them randomly for making good decisions. Like when I see him looking off and then I see him come back to work, you know, and no, they've done a good job, but then we can move up into uh, faster and faster gates, you know, depending on what we need to do, but it, it allowing him to make the choice and him not feeling pressure to do it, but choosing to do it, it does more than just the exercise we're working at. So I can teach him to free lunge. I can teach him to, so eventually we won't even need the the round pen structure. But it also, it really, really, really enhances the relationship because of him making those choices and choosing to do it. It's just, it, I can't even express the, the benefits that come in a lot of different areas as well, when you kind of take this philosophy of training. And it, so I use it um, not only to teach the lunging and eventually free lunging, because with positive reinforcement, and Mary, I know you know this, what you get instead of the horses wanting to run off, you tend to have horses who want to be right with you. So the round, the round, or the, the reverse round pen helps me to be able to teach them that they can do things and we can still be at a distance so I can back towards the center. So I can start at the edges if I like to help them to remind them this is what we're doing and then integrate, you know, the verbal cues or, you know, visual cues to build to trot and to canter. But then I can move myself towards the center. So it starts to help them also realize that they can be working off in the distance and still they can get rewarded. They can learn to just stand there and wait for me to come to them, which I think is really nice. So then pretty soon we can do the free lunging, but I also use it for you know, like when you're working with baby, 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 or horses that are just too energetic and you're kind of like, you know, you might kill me if I raise your energy. <laughs> not in a bad way, but you're just so emphatic and too much energy and hopes flying. But so this is a great way to do what has been known like in the zoo industry as called protected contact. So it's a way that I can be in and be kind of not physically right next to them if I'm not 100% sure they have impulse control because that's one of the first things I want to work on is that self-education and impulse control. But so it's a way I can be safe, but sometimes it's really, it's the horse and feral horses. And you would know this sometimes they're, they're not as comfortable with people. So it's a way that I can be in this area and they can feel like it's protected contact for them. And then we can, as they start to develop a better relationship with me, I can then begin to be outside that protected contact in a way that helps them to feel safer. So it kind of helps set them up for success. So it's, it's just a very fun tool and it, it gives them a lot of freedom, but it, for, in an ironic twist, it gives you a lot more control because you start seeing them 
make choices and want to be with you on every level. So it's, it's, it's something I just love. That, and that's really cool. And it totally flips the script on, um, on round pin work in general. You know, the round pin has become a staple in the last few decades. Um, you know, it's a big natural horsemanship tool and the round pin is, is a great tool. Um, but I think, uh, what, what can happen, what can go wrong is then you're treating your horse, um, with an attitude of be with me or else. Um, and so, mm. because the horse doesn't have that space to get away, there are no corners they can go hide in. And so you have to be careful not to be too much of a predator in there. So I like how this really literally takes down, um, take, you know, takes down those walls. Um, and I also find the concept really fascinating, um, of, you know, if, uh, if you have any experience with clicker training or positive reinforcement training, and you're trying to stay in that quadrant of training and use a little bit less, um, uh, pressure release or, or what's known as positive punishment of like, you know, a physical correction to try to get a horse to stop to do doing something like rushing into your biting. Um, the general rules are you're going to try and get the, you know, ignore what you don't like and reward what you do like. And that was my first question as a trainer getting into this is, okay, the horse has choice and we're doing it at Liberty and blah, 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 blah. What happens when he runs me over and tries to get the cookies out of my bag? <laughs> and it's really difficult to say, here, horse, you have choice and explore your options and be curious without also inviting yourself to get killed. <laughs> so I, I like the, <laughs> you know, you know, not purposely, but, <laughs> right, you know, right, sometimes right. they find out if they roll you around on the ground, all the treats will fall out. <laughs> but uh, um, so, so that protected contact is the missing link there in that. And, and I've done it with several horses that did come with a pre uh, a, a problem already of being a little pishy and mouthy is, is nice to have that barrier where, if they're getting a little too much, you can take a step back and say, okay, we're not going to play yeah. that game without getting run over or without having to ruin all of that great curiosity by saying, get back, you know, and getting really crazy about it. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that's such a terrific idea. So if I wanted to try this with my horse um, yeah. uh, or someone at home wants to try it with their horse, what kind of skills do you need to build up to this point to get this to happen? Is this early in your program yep. or later? You know, I actually can, we can use this really early in the program because just as you said, and I think it's such a valid point, the protected contact is really strong and a good way to go, particularly if you're newer and not sure what you're doing. And I also use it when impulse, when they start to get too much, because I work a lot on impulse control, I just step inside and say, we're going to take a time out for a minute. You're going to settle down and go wait till your energy goes back down. And we'll begin again. So that's a great way for new people as they're not sure what to do. If things start getting a little hectic for them, then it's a great way just to go. I'm just going to step aside. And it helps us to, like you pointed out so nicely, is to minimize what we need to do to keep ourselves safe. You know, we can just go, I'm just going to step calmly to the middle and let you sort this out for a bit. And as they settle down, then we come back and can work with them again. And they start realizing, wait. I'm not going to get to do this unless I'm kind of quiet. So not only for that bitey mouthy, which of course is a lack of impulse control, but, but sometimes I'm working in a more, a more subtle way. It's just, I start to feel that energy climb. And I go, okay, wait, 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 let's settle down. So the first, so it, it's something you can definitely use early on. 
And one of the things, I think first I want to be sure that they understand the bridge signal, whether you're using a clicker or your voice or a whistle or whatever you like. So I want that to be clear because that's such a communication tool that if they don't know that, then I can be missing pieces and they can learn I'm just actually, I'm, I'm getting fed when her hand goes to the bucket or the treat pouch or the fan or the bum bag or whatever it might be. But the, um, but so I really want that part solid. So that doesn't take that long, just a little repetition. And then having the target worked out is really good because that kind of gives a direction. But I must say sometimes, so, so it's great if those pieces are in place to get to working on, you know, lunging or moving, you know, around the round pen in a systematic way, if you're going to be teaching, you know, free lunging or lunging. So, but it's honestly, right off the bat, you might have a horse. So you're kind of like, I, you're, you're too muggy. You're too on me. And I don't, and I'm not comfortable with that. I just get right in and I deal with it and it's okay. You know, I just have skills, but for newer people, it isn't as easy. So this is a way that you can even start that early teaching the bridge conditioning or the, the clicker conditioning, which is that classic conditioning where we don't really have a lot of ways to help them make right decisions because if we're going to let them make choice, they're going to go through the choices that have naturally worked for them for however long they've been alive or so they think. So we're trying to help them make new choice and sometimes just removing ourselves slightly, making it harder to touch us, to get to us can help them go, I give up. And as they look off, we can reinforce them. And pretty soon they learn, wait a second. So it's a way that it can help set them up for success from the very get go. So it's something you can use right away. And it's, it's great. I just love it. Um, there is a name for that and I forgot what it is for the concept of instead of focusing on, I don't want you to buy, I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to do this. Or I want you to stop doing this instead of that, giving your horse something else like, okay, instead of trying to bite my arm, I'm going to pick another behavior to specifically look for and reward like looking away. Yes. And that's it. it, This is what it's called. Hang on to your hat. (laughs) Because <laughs> this is science. Nobody made this up. This is hard proven science. But it's called the differential reinforcement of an incompatible behavior. And I love so, it. So romantic. That, that's what that's what parents have used for years. Their child cannot cry and yes. consume Cheerios at the same time. <laughs> and that's exactly it. It is saying, you know what? So whenever I see a behavior, I think, okay, so the dog likes jumping up or the horse likes mugging me or the horse doesn't like going or whatever it might be. So I think, well, the, the dog likes to have a speed up because the choices they make are basically saying, this is what works for me. I'm either getting something I want or I'm avoiding something I don't want. It's that simple. That's just how it is. They're doing something because of their reinforcement is great. So when I see that, I go, well, clearly jumping up for the dog is something they like. So what I want to do is make it more valuable, more reinforcing, more pleasurable, more their quicker choice to do something else. So I think lay down. So when a situation, you know, somebody comes in the door and they're quick to think, oh, jump on the new people. I, as soon as before I even, I don't just open the door and let happen. But before, when I know somebody's at the door, I'm going to say lay down and I get that lay down worked out in the best case scenario when nobody's there. So I build a strong reinforcement history. And then as the people come to the door, the dog's a little conflicted going, I want to jump, but I do want to lay down because lay down really works. And so I reinforce them for that until pretty soon people come to the door and they're like, flat, I'm going to lay down. That's my new choice. So it's the same with the horses and turning their head away and mugginess. If you're getting it, all it tells me 
if he still thinks that's more reinforcing than keeping his head to himself and standing quietly. So I just keep working on that balance and rebalancing it. And that part's called counter conditioning because you're taking something that previously wasn't so reinforcing and making it the new choice where that's where they want to go. So it is really simple in a way, but yet you have to be creative with your thinking. So if I see a horse who, you know, I've worked with horses who literally do want to kill you, not like accidentally because they're babies or just wild, but you know, that they are like, I hate people. And so you're like, well, you want me to do what? One horse I worked with had bit a man's nipple off. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> Yikes. Oh. That's a new thing I didn't know could happen. I learn every day. <laughs> wow. But with that horse, I very quickly started thinking, I need you to be able to touch this target because you can't bite me and touch the target. At so the same if time. I can this target yes. From, yes. So, so then you say, I'm going to make that more reinforcing, do that over there. And then we can as pretty soon she's making new choices and I could get closer and closer, not use the target. I want to fade these things after a bit, but she was happy to see me and didn't feel so, you know, to put me off, you know, or whatever the, you know, it's learned aggressions learned. It usually comes from fear. So it's just manifested into aggression, but that's so it really changes things, but it gives you something constructive to teach them to do while you can get things to be safer and change those emotions about that whatever behavior so i have a quick question oh yes Um, one of our one of our listener questions chantelle um was curious about working with her high energy pony who is currently um in poor shape she's a little chubby Uh um and she doesn't do a lot of clicker (laughs) training with her because she is concerned about the pony having um issues with treats but in my in my case, because Scooter is a little fatty too, I use an alfalfa cube. No sugar to speak of in those. Uh-huh. He can have he can have those all he wants. But yeah. um, using this concept of the unround pen, where you teach the horse basic skills, for example, <laughs> a target, you can ask the horse to move on, ask him to touch the target, ask him to go through maneuvers. So they're moving their body around. But they're not necessarily right. doing a lot of, quote, hard work. They're not huffing and puffing and, and things like that. But you're giving their brain works out. Because at least for me, it's been my experience that horses that are high energy by nature have worked with a lot of thoroughbreds. If you, if you yeah. get their brain to work hard and get tired, the body follows. You can work their body till the cows come home. They just get more and more and more fit. And you never get that release of energy. But if you get their brain working their body has to do very little work before their brain starts to go, okay, I need a break. And can I take a nap? (laughs) And that's absolutely people don't like when you have your horse on stall rest and it's a, you know, an Olympic level jumper, you're like, Oh, crying This isn't going to be a long month, you know, but when we go in and just start teaching target and taking a lift your foot and it's, it just is exhausting for them because they mentally are so engaged and they're not always used to quite so much, having to problem solve, but absolutely you can get them to move around. And, and I start, if I'm one that I want to really move and I know exercise can be harder. And if they're out of shape, it can be even downright aversive. I mean, if you, somebody said you're going to run a marathon now, Shauna, I'd be like, Oh no, I'll die first. (laughs) But, but the, but I just start, start smaller and say, yeah, just move your body, move your body thinking, move your body. And pretty soon I'm building duration where it's like, well, let's go around a couple times. Let's go around four times. Let's go around until the reinforcement comes. And I try to mix it up and make it 
not humdrum. So I'll change direction suddenly, which is usually a lot of fun for them. And then, you know, you can stop for a second and then say lift your foot and mix it up. So it's a little bit. Oh, that's uh, a good one. I like that. If you teach the horse to pick up their foot, um, there's a, I'm sure a proper word for it, but say you pick up your foot on cue, but even though I'm six and a half feet away, that's really engaging for the little brain. Yeah. And here's what's so exciting about um, that concept in, you know, sometimes I'll look at something and think, well, this, this was invented by scientists or clicker trainers and it's only in this world, but you see the bridge across worlds. And I was, uh, and I just had to jump in here to bring this up cause I got really excited. Um, <laughs> I was at a, a Buck Brandeman clinic several years ago and it was a very great clinic and, and he's, he's really terrific, very soft, thoughtful horseman. And we're all standing around on our horses around him in a circle and he's talking about something and this one woman's on this young horse and he starts pawing with his right foot. And she goes, Buck, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. What do I do here? And so I see a lot of people in the same situation. They're a jerk on their face or I'm going to run your hindquarters around really hard or I'm really going to make you feel bad or I'm going to yell at you or whatever. And he said, well, I'll tell you what Ray Hunt would say, which was his predecessor. Um, uh, he would say, well, why don't you see if you can make him paw with his left front foot? And so, uh-huh. yeah. So she kind of looks at him and he's like, no, like think about what you'd have to do on him to get him to go with his left front foot. So she kind of tried to shift her weight and lifted her rein a little bit. And pretty soon the horse stopped pawing with the right front foot and pawed with the left front foot. And he goes, now make him do the right again. And so she shifted again, kind of fidgeted with her reins and the horse started pawing and he just had her go back and forth. And then pretty soon the horse stopped licking chewed and that was it. And it was just a way not only to get more uh, finesse and control of their feet, because if I can, if I can make your feet do anything I want, then I can also make them stand still. Um, But, (laughs) but it was giving the horse instead of just, you know, the horse is probably doing it out of boredom, frustration, anxiety. And so getting after him will just exacerbate that um, and make it worse. Uh, And so it, it just became a little mind game. Like, do this instead. Okay, now do this instead. Okay, now do this instead. And then, you know, then the horse was able to kind of, um, you know, just calm down and stop. It was a really, really interesting thing okay, to see. Okay, now I've got to try even... it. Okay. Yes. I've got to try <laughs> that. It's, it's a great know, way to see. Of... Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, it's a great way to see that. Do... Sorry. <laughs> you go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's a great way to see that. You can still use pressure release, and it is considered negative reinforcement, but it's not always about, oh, we got to show him his boss. I'm going to get after him. And it's the same concept you see reach across. Yeah, into I, I a think this is, a, this is a good approach. spot to, to put in because this is so confusing and it's so hard to, for us to get our heads around to explain once again what reinforcement, positive versus negative reinforcement positive versus negative reward really mean Shauna get it down to the basics because I I think you had posted a meme or something that about that a while ago because this is so essential to the whole basics of it and if you can't get your head around this it's not going to work and it's and it's we also and I think what's so confusing about it we kind of have a social definition of negative reinforcement yes which we've thought for so long it means I mean in a nutshell when I first started this you know decades ago it, to horse people, if you said you'd use negative reinforcement, it means you beat your horse. 
And positive reinforcement means you don't beat your horse. I mean, that's how people would think of it. And that's not it. It's written by scientists. And so it's think of math. It's science math. It's it's so it's a positive reinforcement means something is added to the equation, just like a positive number is added to the equation. So a positive something is added, which increases the frequency of behavior. That's all a reinforcer does is reinforce behavior. Now, negative reinforcement means something is subtracted from the equation, which increases the behavior. So natural horsemanship, pressure release, that is all a subtraction of pressure, which increases the frequency of behavior. So you're teaching your horse to go forward. So you apply a little pressure. You get a little bit of forward, you remove that pressure. So it's a subtraction. It's negative reinforcement. It's not beating your horse. I mean, clearly we can take that to a weird level, but ideally we don't. And then positive reinforcement means we're adding something that they value, that they truly value. We don't perceive it as a value, but they perceive it as a value. And it shows us because the behavior will increase in frequency. So it doesn't mean good and bad like we, you know, kind of tend to think. It just means one's added and one is subtracted. So it's really simple. And what you actually were describing a little bit there, which I love with the horse with the pawing, it's also a little bit of the, if we just stop them with mechanics, you know, we say, well, I'll pull on your bit and I'll do this and I'll make you hold still. We may change what's physically happening, but not what is emotionally happening. And so I want, I want them to show me at their Liberty work, the decisions they're making and that they're choosing. Cause like with the marine mammals, we did, we never had halters and lead ropes, you know, but we could get them to do amazing things at very high criteria. So when I get that information, it's really valuable to me because it tells me where they are and, and how they really feel. So I want that to come from their head, not from the equipment I'm using or what I can make them do. But with that, the horse that's pawing, it's something that could be part of something called the premac principle. And that means instead of feeding something you like, you're choosing to let them do something that they've shown is intrinsically valuable. So the horse in that kind of situation is saying, I kind of feel like I need to do this. So instead of saying, don't do it, said, okay, but can we do it? We can still do it. Let's do it with the other one. So you're letting them and even engaging them in something that for whatever reason, the horse is finding valuable at that moment and saying, we could do this. And then kind of comes around to settle them down. So I think it's really important when we can recognize those things. So I love that. It's a brilliant story. Yeah, that was one of those ones that stuck with me. Um, so unfortunately, we we have to wrap, and this has been so interesting. Um, but if someone is wanting to uh, to learn more about the reverse round pen or build one um, themselves, where can they find information about how to get that done? Um, I think we have something called connection training, which is an online um, education you know, home study kind of stuff. So I'm part of that with two gals from the UK. You can get a hold of me directly, you know, so you can go to shaunacarish.com or ontargettraining.com or just look up Shauna Animal Trainer and poof, there I am. And then we also have Terra Nova here, which is a Terra Nova training center is in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And we post things on that website and Facebook as well. So, so there's kind of a number of ways you can do it, but I think I'm kind of behind a lot of them. <laughs> but but connection training is a place where we use the reverse round pen and have have students learning how to do it more too as well. 
Very cool. So lots of great resources for those interested in the reverse round pin or uh, even getting into clicker training or positive reinforcement training altogether. Um, So I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Of course, we'd love to have you on again. And uh, it's been very enlightening. Yeah. Thanks, Shauna. Thank you so much. It's always fun. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Perfect. She always gives me homework. That's the only problem. Yes. It's got my, it's got the gears in my brain going. <laughs> well, the, the pawing thing really had, was a light bulb moment for me because when we fox hunt, if we're at a check and a check is when the foxhounds are just milling about looking for a scent to follow, um, everybody who's riding along has to basically stand around and wait. And fussing is not really, you know, people look down their nose at you if your horse fusses. So I have a tendency to have to walk around in a lot of little tiny circles. And if I don't, he paws. And that would be very interesting. So now I have to figure out how to, because he only paws when he's in very high stress situations. So I have to find some, the lowest stress situation that will elicit the response, which is usually feeding time. So I can start working on this at feeding time, perhaps, and figure out a way that when he starts to paw at feeding time, I have to fit, come up with a way to say to him, okay, you need to do this and paw with the other foot. Hmm. Yeah, and I don't want you to get stuck too literally on getting them to paw. The, the main concept behind it and is to do something I, other than paw with that foot. Yes, but okay. also uh, give them yeah, something to do. Um, and so, so many times uh, you're at a fox hunt or I'm waiting to go into my class to show and I'm in a tiny little area. You're on a trail. You can't lunge your horse around. You can't, you might not physically be able to move your horse in some small circles. Right. You don't have time to go lope them out in the field and, you know, let them, you know, get the fresh out. So you've got to engage their mind. You have to do it in a very uh, constrained environment uh, or with a time limit and and especially if you're showing or fox hunting you don't want to waste your horse's energy on something trivial you need it in the pen you need that horse to be on and fresh and ready to go so um so that whole concept uh we we kind of tend to generalize groundwork down to the point of thinking it has to involve lunging in circles or really working up a sweat um it can be some i can get a horse's engaged uh, mind engaged by um it's all, you know, the whole concept with the pawing is I'm going to, I'm going to pick a foot. Let's pick your left front foot and I'm going to see if I can pick it up and put it down somewhere. Let's pick it up and put it down to the left. Okay. Let's pick it up and put it back and, or let's move your hindquarters over one step. Now let's move your hindquarters back. Let's side pass one step. Let's get you to back one step and then yield your hindquarters one step. And then back another step and just back, you know, back little corners. And those little things, you're giving your horse something to focus on. Okay. It's low energy. Now I'm getting You can it. do it. Yeah. Now and, I'm and Okay. That, now you, this is starting to come yeah. together for me. That's what I do. Scooter um, is easily overstimulated mentally. He's a high energy into everything. Just think of a two-year-old brat. That's Scooter. And if... Invariably, it's on the ground because it's hard to do any kind of lateral work in a carriage. But moving his feet two steps sideways, one step back, and he kind of do- I kind of have him do a waltz. Gets his little brain going, and he says, "Well, this is hard work for my brain. Can I please stand still?" It's very effective. So now I need to th- 
I need to take that whole concept for Nigel. So when he's fussy on the ground, which is easy to get him to be fussy on the ground, I can teach him those skills and I can get good at telling him to do those things. And then I can move that to doing it on his back. <gasps> Light bulb for Jen. Yay. Awesome. Yay. Yippee Gibby. Yeah. Okay. If you can take your groundwork to that level of, I can look at any foot and put it anywhere I want, you will be surprised at the changes in your horse. Oh, it's, it's a huge, it's huge for Scooter. Um, I started doing that because he, he, he's very fussy for the farrier. He came with it. We've worked through it. But if there's anything going on or anything different in his little universe, the fussiness comes right back in. And I've tried various and sundry things. And this is the one that works. And I was like, okay, we're going to take, we're going to take three minute break here. And I do the move the foot thing. I, I, I started out by just, I'd just take him for a little walk. I'd literally take a lap around the barn. And that helped a little bit. It would help him settle just a little bit. But the fussiness would come back really quickly, usually within three to five minutes. Whereas, okay, we're going to take six steps back, two steps forward, three steps to the right, one to the left, now back again. And in reasonably quick succession, I have found that that is like, okay, I'm standing Still, please. That was very effective. So with him, with the big guy, I have to start on the ground because I'm not particularly efficient at doing that kind of work on the ground with him yet. He's He tends to be very slow to react, so I have a tendency to make the aids much bigger than they should be. I need to be better with my aids so that he can react to them appropriately. So that's going to be a little homework for me. That's going to be hard. Yeah, it's a mind game for both you and your horse. Totally yeah, really worth is. exploring. Yeah, absolutely. So cool. So we're going to get back to, uh, I think we've got room for just one more listener question. So pick one that we can do in five minutes or less. Okay. Um, so uh, I think what Shauna talked about and what we just talked about will cover a lot of the questions that have been asked um, with the mouth yearling, high energy horse, even the horse that uh, will have difficulty standing in cross ties. And so the gist of that is, um, you know, give them something else to do, give them another job to do that uh, will occupy their mind more so than their desire to to prance around or, or nip at you. And, and for sure, I would like to go into more depth in those later, but one I did want to address, it's a very simple question. Um, and, and I really wanted to address it. Uh, another one by Kate Smith is are hobbles. Okay. As in, are they a device that can be used safely and soundly? And, and I thought that was a great question because, uh, a lot of people see hobbles and are like, Oh, Caution, Gosh, you, controversial topic. Ding, 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 yes, ding. Yes, yes. You've tied the horse's feet together. You're so cruel. Um, so I want to I want to dispel some myths. Um, I do want to admit that, yes, they can they can be and have been horribly misused. Um, you're taking a prey animal and you're taking his feet away, which is his mode of survival. And so you, if you do not do it correctly, you can incite a lot of panic. Um, and followed by, if the horse does make it through in one piece, this yeah. feeling of learned Teaching the horse of, not to bolt, not an appropriate use of hobbles. Yes, don't yeah. put it on a bolting horse. No. But teaching your bolting horse the process to be a good horse to put hobbles on, very worthy process. So I will explain a little bit about how I do it. Um, uh, first of all, I don't just slap hobbles on the horse and I'll be like, okay, I'm going to go have lunch. I'll see you later. Um, hopefully you're still in one piece. Uh, you know, 
it's it's just dangerous to do. Um, you you don't want to put a horse in that situation. So I need to get him to the point where he is so relaxed and calm and patience and patient and has such a good understanding of giving to pressure that I can put hobbles on him and it won't be a problem. Now, why go through this process? Why is it important? I'm not a cowboy. I don't need you know I don't need to tie my horse out on uh, you know have my horse stand still on a thousand acres while I set up camp for the night. Um, so why do I do it? I think it's important in addition to teaching the horse to move their feet, um, to teach the horse that sometimes his feet can be taken away or he can have restraint. Tying is a form of restraint. Tying a horse can be just as dangerous and cruel as hobble training if you don't do it right. But for some reason we, we take that constraint, put it on the horse's legs and oh my gosh, it's really scary. Um, so why do I want to do this? Um, I don't know if I've told this story before, but um, I had a horse uh, that I had taught. I had roped all four of his feet, taught him to give to pressure on his feet very gently, um, systematically over a period of time. He understood hobbles and uh, he was a stud horse. And one day um, his pin um, didn't border any other pins, but there was an alleyway between his pin and another pin. And there were these swinging metal gapes that separated his pin in this alleyway. And another horse had gotten out of its pin and had gotten in the alleyway. And the two, um, were fighting over the fence, just play, you know, not really serious, but this horse had reached up to strike and he had brought his leg really high and it had come down in between those two gates and it wedged in between those two metal gates and those gates were connected by a chain so it rested on top of the chain so he looked like he was in full extension spanish walk and how i found him i was you know the pins kind of off in a corner it's not readily visible and i was walking around the ranch and i just kept hearing this repetitive ding 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 noise. I'm like, what the heck is that noise? So I finally go back there to investigate where the noise is coming from. And I find him in this position and all he's doing is he's gently pulling its the foot back and then releasing and then pulling back and releasing. And he's just, you know, he's trying to figure his way out of it, but he's not panicking. I panic. I'm like, Oh my God. Um, so I go in there, I get him unstuck. He doesn't have a, he's not hurt. There's no hair off of his foot. This easily could have been a pulling his foot off injury. And I am utterly convinced that teaching that horse early on to give to pressure around his feet and to accept restraint helped keep him calm. Cause I don't know how long he was like that. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, now, I, uh, I think, yeah. And this, this one goes back to, I think we kind of have a bit of a theme today. Breaking that process down into safe, digestible pieces, the process of teaching the horse to give the pressure and accept restraint on the feet or legs, that's the important part of it. It's not the end, re the end result wearing hobbles is not important. The process is important both because of safety and because it's a skill set that is a benefit to every horse, the ability to have something get wrapped around your leg, understand that it's not a reason to panic, and understand that giving to it is a good thing and that it's, it's going to provide comfort and nothing bad is going to happen. All of those things are a fantastic skill set for any horse to have. Um, 
a lead rope gets lapped or wrapped around the leg. You're lunging or long lining. Something crazy happens and it lands on the ground and gets wrapped around something. A foot gets put through a piece of fencing. There's 101 ways that horses get stuff around their legs. And having had that training, a mental skill set that this is not a reason to panic is going to pay dividends for the horse's whole life. It is. It's. It's. Uh, and and not only that. Not only you're going to help potentially keep him out of a wreck. Even you know getting cast in a stall or cast under a fence, um, and having his feet taken away from him and him learning. Okay, I've been through this before. It's like doing a fire drill. I've been through this drill. I came out in one piece. Here's what I'm supposed to do, and just wait for help to arrive. Which is not natural for a horse because no. out on the prairie. No, no one's going to come get them, you know. Um, so, so it's the, it's that, and it also helps them uh, mature a great deal mentally because um, they Emotional get used control, to. Sure. Yeah. Yes, and so you know the the way that I do this, um, just to kind of quickly uh, go through what I do, is I, I do some basic groundwork with the horse, get some basic control of their feet, and then I take a lariat and I put it around all four feet separately, you know, one at a time. And I do this with bare hands. Um, I do this so light, it is not going to take height off the horse. It's not going to blister my hands. Um, and you have to be, I would caution anyone, don't go out and rope your horse's feet without some research and help, probably help from a professional. But you can do this with your lead rope too, uh, where it's not quite such a binding thing. Uh, so I teach that horse uh, that when I pick up on this rope and pull it forward, you come forward off of that feel. So most horses know how to lead by halter. I'm going to teach him how to lead around by his feet. So I can just pull that foot gently along behind me and he follows me around. I do that with their front feet. And then on the back feet, I, I don't teach him to necessarily go backwards because it's a bit awkward. But I teach him to move those hindquarters side to side and I teach him to bring that back foot forward and this is also a great skill for your farrier because I can teach my horse to pick up that foot pull it forward as if he's stretching it off on a uh, on a hoof stand and hold it there for a moment and I do this bit by bit by bit just a little give a little give until the horse is calm enough that he can walk around with this rope on his foot um and then from there uh, I will I will start the process of introducing um, hobbles. And so what I do, I have this thick leather, harness leather hobble, and I do it after a ride. Um, I bring the horse to the middle of my arena, which is nice soft footing, and I put the hobbles on him. And I, I sit there and just literally watch him for a few minutes. And then I uh, I take him off. Um, and I've never had a horse just all of a sudden panic at this because I've done so much work and the lariat work I go into really heavily. It's hard to explain all in one go. Um, and so I just hobbles on for a few minutes. Okay, you're done. Then I unsaddle them. We put them away. And that just becomes a habit we build on after every ride. Okay, now you're going to stand for a few more minutes. Now a few more. Now a few more until they can stand for an extended period of time. And again, I don't have a practical use why I might need to hobble that horse. I don't go camping a lot. I'm not. Um, I just love the training process. There we go. Well, that's, that about wraps it up because we could geek out continually. Um, you're here again next month. We'll have more listener Q&A. Uh, might even have another guest, have more light bulb moments for Coach Jen. So if folks have more questions for you or want to stalk you appropriately, Mary, where do they do that? 
Uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, uh, Mary Kitts Miller Horsemanship. Uh, give me a message and I will definitely get back with you. There we go. And we will be back again tomorrow. Uh, looks like tomorrow is Friday. We're going to have a recorded show, but it's going to be a whole show. It's going to be recorded. It's going to be brand new stuff, brand new stuff. So it's not going to be a best of, but it will be recorded. It won't be on the live feed. Um, we're going to use a b- different bit of technology tomorrow. So make sure to tune in for that and uh, we'll see you again.